In the book of Judges, we have looked at several of the judges. We've looked at Othniel and Ehud. We've looked at Deborah, and today we look at Gideon. The story of Gideon is an epic story. It's a very involved story. In fact, it's more like a mini-series than a short story. So we'll cover Gideon today and next week. And Gideon is a story that I believe that can change the rest of your life. And I am so excited to walk through this story together. Let's look together at Judges chapter 6. Verses 1 through 10 sets up the story. That's our setting. What's happening in Israel? Let's find out what's going on. That sets up the story of Gideon. Let's read together Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come in like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. We see the condition of Israel. They are in a difficult spot under great oppression. And they are crying out to the Lord. And the Lord sends a prophet to speak to the people on his behalf. Look at verse 7. Now it came about that the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian. That the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. There's the condition of Israel. They're in a difficult spot under great oppression. They're wondering what's going on. They're crying out to the Lord for deliverance. God sends a prophet and God speaks to the people and says, you have not obeyed me. This is the point in the story where we are wanting to see the people of God say, you're right. We've not obeyed you and we want to be right with you. But that is not what happens in the story. There is nothing from the people here. Even though the people don't respond like we think they should, we get to see a picture of the faithfulness of God, even when there is no response of the people. And it's an amazing story of God's faithfulness. Gideon is out taking care of the wheat harvest. He's doing it in a wine press because he is afraid of the Midianites. He's trying to hide the fact he's got some produce because they regularly come in and they take it all. So he's doing that. In that moment that he's doing that, the Lord, the angel of the Lord shows up right there where Gideon is. 
Look at this, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Then the Lord looked at Gideon and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Gideon said to the angel of the Lord, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. He said, Who am I to do this? Do you know who you're talking to? And yet God says, verse 16, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, if now I found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And the angel of the Lord said, I will remain until you return. So the Lord says to Gideon, you're the guy that's going to go out. And Gideon says, hey, I don't know if you've got the right person or not. No, I've got the right person, and the reason I've got the right person is not because of you, it's because I am with you. That's why you're right, because I am with you, and I have called you to do this. Well, Gideon needs some reassurance. He asks for a sign. So Gideon goes off and prepares this meal, this offering for the angel of the Lord. He brings it back, and the angel of the Lord instructs him to place it on a rock, and the angel of the Lord touches the end of his staff to this meal offering, and all of a sudden, fire jumps out of the rock and consumes the offering. Now, at this point, Gideon understands exactly what is going on. Let's look at this, what he says here. Verse 22. And what's interesting, the Lord, the angel of the Lord vanishes at that moment, and Gideon saw, verse 22, that he was the angel of the Lord. And he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Let me, let me just give you a paraphrase. I am scared to death. <laughs> verse 23, the Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day, it's still in that place. In that moment, Gideon realized more than ever before in his life that God was his peace. That God made all the difference in his life. That moment of coming face to face with the angel of the Lord and experiencing the mercy of God meant for Gideon that his life would forever be changed. God was everything. God was the peace.
peace that Gideon was looking for. God meant everything to Gideon in that moment when he proclaimed, the Lord is my peace. He was afraid. He thought, there's no way the Lord could use me. But in that moment, he knew, God is with me. And he is my peace. And then that night, the Lord gives instructions to Gideon. Verse 25, now on the same night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this stronghold in an orderly manner, and take this second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole which you cut down. So here's God's first command to Gideon. God calls Gideon to deliver the people from Midianites. Gideon says, I'm not sure I'm your guy. And God says, it doesn't matter, I'm with you. And then Gideon says, I need a sign. And God gives Gideon this amazing sign of his presence. And Gideon knows that the Lord is his peace. And the Lord says, okay, now that you're trusting me, this is what I want you to do first. I want you to go and deliver your family from their worship of a false god. I want you to go and I want you to tear down the altar to Baal, a false god that belongs to your dad and that all the people in your area are using. And I want you to deliver your family from this false worship. Gideon and all the faith he could muster decided to do this at night because he was scared to death to do it during the day. He gathers men and they go at night and they tear down the altar. And sure enough, first thing in the morning, guess what happens? The, the people of that area decide they want to kill Gideon because they tore down his altar. And Gideon's dad stands in front of those people that want to kill Gideon and say to the people, are you going to be the deliverer of Baal? Can Baal not contend for himself? Why don't we just see if Baal is what Baal says he is, and he'll take care of Gideon if Gideon has offended this God. And through the words of his dad, Gideon actually provides deliverance for his family. So in this first experience that Gideon has of trusting the Lord, Gideon and his family are delivered from false worship. And then there's more to come. Look at verse 33. Then the Midianites and the Malachites and the sons of the east assembled themselves and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. So the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And Gideon gathers this people together to face the Midianites. This group of 32,000 people facing innumerable forces. And Gideon needs a little bit more reassurance. And so Gideon asks for another sign. Verse 36, Gideon said to God, if you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece 
of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not let your anger burn against me, that I may speak once more. Please let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it be dry only on the fleece, and let there be dew on all the ground. God did so that night, for it was dry on the fleece, and dew was on the ground. Once again, Gideon is afraid. He asks for a sign. And God graciously answers Gideon's request. Because God wants Gideon to trust him. God wants Gideon to know, I'm with you. And if I've commanded you to do this, it's going to be okay because I'm with you. I need another sign. Okay, here it is, Gideon. Here it is, Gideon. And so now Gideon is ready and he's assembled his forces. And they're all together. They're gathered, ready to go into battle. 32,000 of them. And look at verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. At that point I'd be saying, um, Help me out with the math here, Lord, because their forces are innumerable. And I'm counting 32,000. This does not seem right. But the Lord continues and says, Israel become boastful saying, my own power has delivered me. And God wants the people to say, God delivered us, and only God delivered us. And so he now says, I want you to tell the people, verse 3, whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. <laughs> now, this is funny. God says to Gideon, stand up and tell the whole group, whoever is really scared, they can go home. I think Gideon's probably thinking at that moment, can I go? Because when I say that, I'm one of those that feels that way. But Gideon has to stand up and say that to everyone else. Now think about that. You're standing knowing you're fixing to face innumerable forces. You have 32,000. I mean, that's a lot of people, but not innumerable. You stand up and say, if any of you are scared, go on home. And yet that moment, you see 22,000 of them pack up and go home. That's not a good moment. That's the moment you become even more scared. So Gideon's left with 10,000. I'm sure he's thinking, okay, that's got to be good enough. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. So God says, bring them down to this little area here by the water. And I want you to see how they drink the water. And I want you to look for the guys who kneel down to drink. And to start numbering them off. Because those are the guys that I've chosen for you to go into battle with. As they went down there and they began to drink that water, Gideon began to count them off and separate them out. However he did that, you know what he ended up with? 300 men. And God said, that's good. Because if you win this battle with 300, you're going to know I did it. 300. This is the original 300. You know, Leonidas and the Spartans got nothing on Gideon and the Israelites. And this battle with 300 turns out a lot better than it did with the Spartans. These 300 experience incredible victory. 
Now Gideon's supposed to be leading the charge with these 300. Can you imagine when he gathers the 300, what he's going to say? He's got to be terrified. And God is so gracious to Gideon. Look what the Lord does. Verse 9. Now that same night came about, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, go with Pura, your servant, down to the camp, and you will hear what they say. And afterward your hands will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. So he went with Pura, his servant, down to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. When Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend. And he said, Behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian, and it came to the tent, and it struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so the tent lay flat. His friend replied, there is nothing, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. And Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation. He bowed in worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and he said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. And he took the 300 and he began to carry out the plan of God. And God used those 300 to bring confusion into the entire army. And they brought victory. And they began to retreat from the army of Gideon. And along the way of retreat, many others joined in and they defeated the Midianites and several other groups that stood against Gideon all the way through. And the people of God experienced the deliverance of God through trusting in Him. Amazing story of trusting the Lord. The story of getting is intended to remind us that God alone delivers. And the God who delivers wants to give us every reason to choose faith over fear. Because God is everything we need and long for. I want you to think about the story of Gideon in light of Jesus Christ, our one true deliverer. Every single person in this room that's made a decision to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior has a very unique and particular story of coming to Christ as our deliverer, our Savior. If you were to boil down all of our stories and all the particulars and all the uniquenesses, we come to the same basic elements of the story. It begins with each one of us trying our best to survive under the oppression of an enemy. Trying to figure out a way to make it. In the midst of our own efforts to try to figure out a way to make it, God showed up. And God communicated to every single one of us that He loves us. God so loved you that He sent His only Son 
to be our deliverer. So that when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose again to demonstrate he had conquered sin and death, when we place our trust in Jesus Christ, then we are delivered. We are saved from the guilt of our sin. We are saved from the wrath of God on our sin. We are delivered into eternal life. Jesus Christ saves us through placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the story of God's love to us. He loves us and has demonstrated that love through Christ. So then we trust in Christ, we are delivered. That's our story. It's your story, and that's my story, if we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Part of our story may contain those elements like Gideon where we would say to the Lord, who am I that you would really love me? I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve this favor. And we might even push back against the Lord saying this cannot be true. I certainly do not deserve this kind of love. But the reality is that God's love is not given to those who deserve it. God's love is given to those who need it because God is love. Why has God chosen to love any one of us? Because He has. It's who He is. And it's what He's done. And every one of us have the testimony of Gideon. I am the least likely to be chosen to experience the deliverance of God. And yet God has chosen through our faith in Christ to deliver us. You may also, like Gideon, have this impression of not only am I the least likely in my house, but why in the world would you continue to use me? Maybe for you, you, you made a decision to trust Christ. And you've, since that decision, done some things in your life that don't really follow that decision very well. You've drifted from the Lord and you've done some things that you know that God didn't want you to do and today you're thinking to yourself, you know, I, I'm really afraid that if I came back to God, what God would say to me is that I've passed on to somebody else who treated me better than you did. And you've missed your opportunity to know me as your peace and to be used by me. But I just want to remind you this morning that not only did you never do anything to deserve the love of God, you'll never do anything to keep the love of God. God just loves you because that's who He is. You'll never deserve it. You'll never do enough in order to deserve Him to continue loving you. He loves you because He loves you. He's your deliverer. He's with you. He is your peace. Because that's what He is. There is no reason for anyone in this place to not run headlong to the presence of God and trust in Christ as a deliverer. To deliver you and to use you to help others Discover the deliverance of God through faith in Jesus Christ.
you know the great thing about God is that he's so gracious to us and that he gives us a sign just like he gave Gideon. I love that Gideon was able to say, okay, one more time. Okay, what is it? Okay, one more time. And God just continually, graciously gives Gideon one sign after another because God wants Gideon to believe more than Gideon ever could have wanted to believe. And he does everything he can to get him to trust. And God has done that with you and me. Do you know that for every single person who places their faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord gives them a sign. Do you know what the sign is? That you can trust that God is your deliverer? Your sign is the Holy Spirit. God has given every single person who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is a sign that God is your deliverer. That He has really delivered you. Do you know how you know you have the Holy Spirit when you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ? I'm going to give you two reasons. You can know you have the Holy Spirit in your life as a sign that God has delivered you. Number one, God told you that if you trusted in Jesus Christ, He would give you His Spirit. There you go. And if God told you, He is always true to his word. John chapter 14 verse 16 is a great verse to to see that in where God says I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. How do you know you have the Holy Spirit? God told you you'd have it and you have him. He's there. The other reason you should know you have the Holy Spirit is because the greatest evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is that person's desire to know and follow Jesus. There is no greater evidence of the presence of the Spirit than one's conviction of sin. I am not in a place where I can know and follow Christ and a desire to be in a place where you can know and follow Christ. I want my life to be changed, to be altered. I want my heart to be moved to follow Christ. What I want is Jesus because He is my peace. And what my heart longs for is for God to radically change me because He is my peace. That's the greatest evidence of the presence of the Spirit that we will ever see is the desire for us to follow Christ. If you're here today and you would say, I know when I sin against God and I want to follow Christ. I want to choose faith over fear every single time. Well, be encouraged. The Spirit of God is with you and that's the only reason you care about following Christ. He's with you. God wants you to choose faith over fear more than you'll ever want to choose faith. He is there with you. He's provided the Holy Spirit to be with you. He wants you to choose Him. And every time you choose faith over fear, God will continue to give you more and more reasons to keep on choosing Him because He has invited you into a story of changing the world. You know, you know the first level of effect in your life as you decide, I have chosen to follow Christ no matter what, no matter what I may be afraid of, no matter what I may feel or think, I'm going to follow Christ. The first level of effect is in your family most often. I mean, when a, when a man decides, I want to choose faith over fear, that man knows the love of God in a radically altering, life-altering way so that he then becomes a person that says, I want to be more selfless instead of selfish. 
I want to be more concerned about someone else than I am myself. I want to care for someone and love someone better than I ever have before because of God's love in me. And the presence of the Spirit of God combined with the Word of God transforms the way that man thinks and acts so that he is now a blessing unlike ever before to his spouse. Is that not an incredible experience when a woman decides, I want to choose faith over fear or anything else and follow Christ, and all of a sudden she's transformed to love her husband unlike he's ever experienced love from her. No longer is she saying to her husband, you need to be perfect before I love you. No longer is the husband saying to his wife, you need to be perfect before I love you. No, they're both saying the Lord has loved me perfectly and I want to love you because I have been loved. Can you imagine what it's like when a mom and dad experience faith over fear and their lives are changed and they begin to parent their children in such a way that they follow Christ because they're no longer afraid of what the world might do to them, but because they've chosen faith over fear. They trust that God wants their children to know Him more than they'll ever want to know Him. And they trust Him with their parenting and they begin to parent differently. I mean, we need families that are choosing faith over fear so they're radically affected and being different in this community than any other family so people can see what it means to follow Christ. The greatest decision you can ever make in regard to your family is the decision of faith over fear or anything else. But that's not the only level of effect that God's inviting you into. No, he's inviting you into not just changing your family, but changing the world. God has invited you to make disciples, to choose faith over fear and make disciples. I know it's scary to tell people about Jesus Christ, to walk up and engage them in a story about the gospel. I know that it can evoke fear and anxiety in us. I know that it's a little scary to walk in your workplace and say, God, who is it here that I can ask to be in a Bible study that does not know you and otherwise may never hear? I know that it's a little bit scary to walk over to a neighbor and say, I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. But we have a choice to make as a people. Will we choose faith over fear? If we will choose faith over fear, then God will use us to change the world. And all it means is that you want to be a person who helps somebody else follow Christ. You want to be a person that says, I want to help somebody love God like I'm loving God. I want to help somebody love people like I'm trying to love people. And I want to help them do the same thing for somebody else like I'm doing for them. That's all it takes. And God can use us to change the world. I mean, think about it. If 300 people in this room today decided, I want to choose faith over fear or anything else that would keep me from being used by God who's delivered me. If 300 of you made that decision today and you said, for the next year, what I want to do is I want to help at least one person, just one person, love God, love people, so that they get to the place they can help somebody else do the same thing. If 300 of you made that decision today, 300, here's our little army, and you made that decision, do you know at the end of of one year, you'd have 600 people who are ready to make an investment. In the second year, 600 people be investing in 600 more, helping them. Just one person love God, love people, and help others do the same. 
At the end of year two, you'd have 1,200 people ready to make an investment. And those 1,200 be making an investment in 1,200 more. You'd have 2,400 people at the end of year three making an investment. In year four, you'd have 2,400 investing in 2,400. You have 4,800 people. How would you like to be a part of touching 10,000 people in five years? God's invited you into a story. He's delivered you so that you might, knowing His love, step into your world and share His love and change the world. In 1879, a lady made a decision to give a little piece of property over in Old Town that became the place where the first building was built for First Baptist Church. I wonder if she was afraid of anything when she made that decision. Little could she see what this has become. But she knew she was a part of a story. What I'm inviting you to join in this morning is to be one of 300 to enter the story of choosing faith over fear. It's better for you. It's better for your family. It's better for our church. It's better for your workplace. It's better for community. It's better for the world. Faith over fear. This is the life we were meant to live.